How are you this morning? Good, good to hear. I'm glad you're ready to go. My name is Dan Underhill. I am the student pastor here. We're going to continue on in our series, Tough as Nails. Look at your neighbor and say, Tough as Nails. nails. (sighs) No, that's not going to work. Man, we're talking, it's a series called Tough as Nails, guys. You got to be tough as nails when you say it. We'll try it again. Look at your neighbor and say, Tough as Nails. Tough as nails. And today we're going to talk about tough to see. Tough to see. Now, I know you look at me here and say, wow, he is shockingly good looking. <laughs> you know, I am so surprised that he's actually that, that good looking. But I wasn't always this good looking, okay, or this size, which is shocking to everyone, I'm sure. There was a time when I was much younger, and I want to talk to you about that. There was a time in my life where it was tough to see. It was tough for me to see. And I want to kind of walk you through that real quickly because, you see, as much as I am dangerously attractive, I was of below average athletic ability, okay? And so what does a dangerously attractive nine-year-old boy do when he has less than the best athletic ability? He plays baseball. That's what he does. He plays baseball. All right, and so I want to show you guys, I mean, I got proof to back this up. Check it out. This is what I look like, right? This is me. This is the business, right? Now, see, some of you are just like, man, when they took that photo, why didn't they make sure everybody was looking? Well, those of you who are older than probably about 30, you realize this. This was back in the day where you didn't get another shot, man. There wasn't check out the shot and then, no, man, you look dumb. Let's do it again, right? We didn't have that option. If you look dumb, you look dumb. And your mom, she paid for the pictures, right? She's like, oh, my baby, he's going to look so good in his pictures. Why are you not looking at camera? <laughs> right? And they paid. That money's gone, right? But this was me, and I, I was playing baseball. I had great form, man. I was not, again, one of the most athletic kids growing up, okay? Again, dangerously attractive, below average athletic ability, all right? And so what I did as I found the one spot on the baseball field that would work for me, it was a catcher. Because um, based on my size, man, they just throw it at me, and I'd stop it just by spherical form, okay? They're like, Poof. all right, throw it back. And I was like, there it is. But what I did do well is I was always able to hit the ball, okay? I've always had uh, what I like to consider a strong base. My wife says it's a big butt and big legs. I call it a strong base, Okay, and so I get in there and I get on that ball, ready? Get in that box. I'd be able to see that come, turn those hips, and knock that ball out. Now, a nine-year-old boy who can hit it into the outfield every time he swings the bat, that's all right. That's all right. See, I cracked that thing out of the grass because here's the other thing. The other kids with no talent, they're in the outfield, okay? So there was no prayer of them catching it once I hit it out there. Okay, there is absolutely no prayer. But all of a sudden, I noticed something change. It was the same baseball field I'd always played on, same uniform I always wore, same batter's box, same team, and all of a sudden, something changed. And I couldn't see that ball coming at me for the life of me. 
I could not see it coming. And as we're talking about tough as nails, we've got to be tough as nails as a family, as a church, because there are things in life that you can't see coming, aren't there? There are things in life that will come at you and they will frustrate you because you never saw it coming. And if you're not prepared how to deal with things that you didn't see coming, you'll fail. You'll fail and you'll get wrecked. And I want to kind of walk you through that because what do you do when life gets tough to see? When it's too tough to see, what do you do? I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You have to choose grit over quit. And you've got to walk by faith, not by sight. You have got to choose grit over quit. And you have to choose to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's not just a cute saying. It's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, by the Lord to us as his people, he says, you shall walk by faith, not by sight. And I want to walk through the chapter 11 of Hebrews with you to talk about some of these great men who walked by faith and not by sight. These were the hall of famers in your Bible. These were the men who laid it down and you are being told stories about them thousands of years later. These were great, great men. But I want to start with verse 1 and we'll go to it. We'll take a look at it on the screen. And it's Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1, and this is what it says in Hebrews 11, 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of the things that you can't see. You see, you have to have a conviction about those things that you can't see coming. You have to have those standards figured out before they hit you. Otherwise, they will run over you. And there was a long of times that I was in that batter's box, and I couldn't see that ball coming, and all of a sudden it'd be there. And the next thing I found myself doing was turning like this to try to take in the shoulder. And we've got to be better prepared than that as Christians. We have got to be better prepared than that as believers. We have got to be able to walk out our faith. Because the world we live in right now, it tells us a lie. If I can't believe it, well, then I probably won't see it. And if I can't see it, then I can't. If I can't see it, I can't believe it. But God tells us, oh, you want to see it? First, you must believe it and then you'll see it. First you must believe it, and then you see it. And the first thing I wanted to point out to you today is your faith takes you from a spectator to a participator. Your faith must take you from a spectator to a participator. You see, faith is great, but faith has to function. It has to do something. It has to move and it has to motivate. It's a hope and a conviction inside of you that should spur you on to do something great. It can't just be a story you tell people because if it's just what you tell people, it's fiction. Show me your faith. James says faith without works is dead. And faith is huge. It's important. It's pivotal to how we move and how we function. And I want to show you some of these men, the great hall of famers of faith. 
and walk through them and talk about what it is they did. First off, Noah. How many guys remember Noah, right? I mean, Noah, kind of a big deal. Without him, we're not here, right? The whole rain thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a big deal. That was a real big deal. So check it out. Noah. Noah is talked about in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. We're going to start with him in verse 7. We're going to read this. This is what it says about Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Ah, things hadn't happened yet. Ah, unseen. In the reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah. Noah had to walk by faith, not by sight, because rain didn't exist. Not like the nice little rain we had yesterday makes everything green. And Lake Travis is now 180 billion percent full. Okay? Now you have to understand, when I interviewed here five years ago, when Mac and I were talking about whether or not we were going to make the greatest decision of our life by coming to Austin, Texas, in which it was the best decision of our life, Lake Travis was down 58 feet. Now it's over 100% full. Isn't it funny how time goes by so quick and things change? And if you're not focusing on it, years just go away, don't they? Years just eat up and just go away. And you're like, man, how did I get here? Back to Noah. Noah listened to God. Noah made a decision to follow God and to hear him to say, wait a minute, hold on, I need to build an ark? What's rain? See, rain didn't exist. Noah had to step out and look stupid. And man, I think about the church today and the people around me. I want people that are willing to do something that might look stupid that could save my family. I'd want to be that guy. But I've got to focus on my faith if I'm going to do that. I've got to focus on it. So Noah stepped out and did what seemed to be impossible and totally crazy. But what happened? It changed his family's future. It changed everything because he was willing to obey God and not give in. Think about that for a minute. Think about the rain starts pounding. Think about the people outside when the water starts coming up. Think about that for a minute. Noah had to stand there as a man of God and say, God told me to do this and this isn't going to work for everybody but he told me to do this. Talk about a way we have to live today. This is what God told me that I have to do for my family. It's not going to work for everybody. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let's check out Abraham. Abraham was another hall of faith, hall of famer. Okay, Abraham was kind of like, you know, he's probably like the Jackie Robinson, okay? The Jackie Robinson of baseball. Abraham was told to do something that he had no idea what it was going to look at. Let's check that out. That's in verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Ladies, how many of you out there, your husband gets in the car, he ain't got a fat clue where he's going, and you're just like, yeah, I'm riding in faith with him. How you know, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You, you know, you know, he got no clue where he's going. But man, it was bigger than that. Abraham 
took his whole family into a land that was totally undiscovered. He had no idea what was going to be on the other side when he started walking. But what did he do? He walked by faith, not by sight. He said, Lord has said, therefore, this is where I'm going to go. And Abraham is the father of our faith. He's kind of what started it up and got the ball rolling for us. Abraham was a hall of famer, but he had to step out and do something that was difficult. And then the babe Ruth. The babe Ruth of faith, Moses, right? Moses, part in the Red Sea, right? Moses, the guy with the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You know Mo, you know Mo, my boy Mo, right? I mean, this guy could get it done. Let's check it out. Let's see what the Bible says about him. Moses, in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11, says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses had an awesome setup. He was in the Beverly Hills, okay, at the time. Great cars, great food, great area to live, had everything that he could ever imagine or want for. And he said, no. God's called me for something more. And he walked away from it to walk into his destiny. And you know and I know, Moses led God's people across the Red Sea, chariots charging down on him. He was the one who led them out of captivity. Without him, there's no point in moving on because there was nothing more for the children of God to do. They were slaves in Egypt. Moses did what was difficult to see something that was impossible in his mind happen. Moses led and we have to lead that way as well. We have to lead in such a way that it inspires other people because faith without works is dead. If it's just a story, you're telling someone it's fiction. Your faith can't be fiction. It's got to have story to it. It's got to have reality to it because nobody wants to watch a reality show about faith. They just don't. It's not attractive. It's not fun. They want to see a story that means something. They want to see a story that changes something. They want to see you living in a way that changes the way they live. You have to focus on your faith. You see, faith requires focus. Faith requires focus. Gloria Mark, who is an expert in focus research, the University of California in Irvine found this in a study that she did with, you, uh, with NBC News. She said that she found that the average employee can focus for about 11 minutes before they get distracted by an email, by a phone call, by a text message, or by a social media bing, bzz, bzz. Right? Right now, I don't know why I'm jumping. That's because you've got the same disease I have. Oh, I buzzed. I have to do something. Right? You look at your phone and it controls you. And we've got to focus. We've got to focus on our faith. Because what we don't focus on will eventually fade away. 
And we can't afford for our faith to fade. It has to be real. It has to be sharp. It has to be so attractive that other people are watching going, what is, what, what's different about this person? Let me ask you some questions. Is that how your faith would be described? We're talking about the great hall of famers. Is that how people would describe your faith? Because that's how I want my faith to be described. And I believe that we can do it. Because it's too important not to. It is too important to not build our faith. The next generation is watching us. The next generation is there and they're watching. If you think you have a hard time focusing, check this out. Try being a high schooler. Try being a college student, right? Some more research that I found in preparing for this. They're saying that this generation is now one of the most insecure generations at the same time as being overly confident. How many of you guys would agree with that? Unbelievable confidence in, I can do anything. I'm nervous, I don't know. At the same time. Here's what I've found. You want to know why? They have access to unlimited information and it's in their pocket. So if they want to know the answer to something, Google it. If they want to know what someone looked like, Google it. Boom, it's right there. Images, information, 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 information. Makes them unbelievably confident they can do anything. The problem is they didn't have to work for it, did they? So at the same time that they had this incredible amount of information, there was no grit that it took to work through getting the information. You see, when I grew up and I went to school, there wasn't computers for me to Google anything. It was called an encyclopedia, all right? And that means you went to the library and took 14 books like this, set them out on a table and spread them out, and you read obnoxious amounts of pages about information that had nothing to do with what you wanted to learn. And then you found the one thing that you had to write the report on and hopefully convince the teacher to give you an A. But what did it instill in me? What did it instill in us? We had to go through something. I'm not insecure. I learned so much more about subjects I had no interest in because I had to work through it, because I had to fight for it because I had to get after it. And we have got to focus on our faith because we're raising the next generation. See, that's funny about school, but what about spiritually? Are we just Googling it spiritually? Well, I'll just look that up real quick. We need the hard, gritty work of being in the Word daily. We need the hard, gritty work of showing up together and not forsaking us getting together because it's what nails us together. The series is tough as nails. Nails connect things. Nails bind things together. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if something were to come at me that was tough for me to see, I know that my family here would be right there to help me through. That they would be there to help me when there are things that, man, I had no idea this was coming. That's something Mac Richard has been unbelievable at in my life. Helping me when I have young kids, and he's like, oh, oh, I remember that crazy time. And he gives me some advice as to how to make it through there. And we need people like that. We need that. Because faith, 
has to leave a legacy. Faith has to leave a legacy. It absolutely must because they're watching. They're watching us, guys. The next generation, no matter who you are in this room, if you're 80 years old, there's a next generation, and they don't have to be 15. If you're 50 years old, there's a next generation. It might be the 40 and 30-year-olds. But if you're 20, there's a next generation behind you too. And they're watching. And it's imperative that we give them a show. Give them something to watch. Give them something to inspire them. Because they're watching us. They're growing up, hearing us. I started this message showing you me playing baseball. You see, I believe in what I'm saying to you. Because now, I'm teaching my son Jacob how to play baseball. He's right around the same, same age. And he's killing it. And I want to show you what he looks like. This is, these are pictures here of Jacob. This kid will gun you down. <laughs> Do not play with my boy Jacob. We got a couple more. He's got some finesse. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's probably 93 miles an hour coming at you right now. <laughs> You know how you know? You know how you know? Look at his mouth. <laughs> right? Right? And he's got tremendous follow-through. Check out follow-through. His follow-through. Now, see, that's more from his mom right there. <laughs> I don't know exactly where that came from because I don't ever do that because that's just weird. But that's my boy. That is my son who I'm now teaching how to see the ball coming how to turn his hips, how to keep his elbow up and focus and go through a game when he loses or a season if he loses because it's my job to show him how to win and how to lose. Now, I'm not a fan of losing. Let me just make that real clear, okay? Again, these tr participation trophies, keep them. <laughs> my kids don't need them because I throw them away anyway. But he needs to be taught how to get through stuff. And it's not just on a baseball diamond. He has got to be taught about his faith. He has got to be taught about what my values are. What are my standards? What are my convictions? What is it that God brought me through and brought me to? Because he needs to look at his dad and say, my dad was a hall of fame faither as well. And I want to be just like him one day. Because they're watching. They're watching. We have got to put on a show for them. We have got to put on a clinic for them to learn about our faith. There's some verses, and I'm not going to put them on the screen, but I want to say them to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go and look it up when you go home. It says, what will you say then to your sons when they come to you and they say, what is the meaning of of the testimonies of the Lord. Tell me of the values. Tell me of the statutes. Tell me what God has done for you. Because the next generation is coming. And they're needing to be led by great men and women like you. And we believe in you because you can do it. I just want to coach you up a little bit today. And go, let's put on a show for them. Let's put on a hall of fame faith show for them. We've got awesome stories of business. 
We've got awesome stories of sports. Some of you are still living in your high school stories. Let it go. Where are our faith stories? Where are our stories of faith? We have got to be able to tell the next generation about how I came to the Lord, about how I changed my family's name from meeting drunk, drug addict, criminal, to a man of faith. We have got to be able to show them the bridge that connects them. And that comes through us focusing on our faith. That comes from us making our faith function, being participators, not just spectators. We get involved. We serve together, whether it's here or in our kids' building or on a Wednesday night or wherever. But you invest in pals. You invest in your schools. You invest in the community because they need Hall of Famers of faith. They can tell them, don't step on that, I've done that. Don't, don't walk that way, I've done that. And that's not going to work well for you. They need us. And they don't only need us. They need the ones who have gone on before us. Because everybody in this room has somebody. Somebody who's gone on before you. Someone who's in heaven waiting for you. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a great cloud of witnesses. You know what that cloud is? The people that have gone on before you. The people that have graduated. Because as much as we think that this is the main show, it's not. This is a pregame. This is the pregame. The main show is there with God. That's the main show. And they've gone on before us. And I wonder, what would they say to us to focus on? What would they say is most important? As they peer in and they watch us live our lives today, how would they encourage us and speak to us? Let's reach way back to the saints that died for our faith. What about them? What would they say about the brand of faith that we live today? Because they died for it. There are saints who paid the ultimate price so that that way you could have a Bible. You could have scripture. You could have the word of God. What would they say to us? You see, they're watching us. Just like Jacob is now playing baseball. And I love going to those games because my days in baseball are over. Jacob's dad is behind the fence watching him. And so is your heavenly father watching 
loving to cheer you on, loving to encourage you. I love being behind that fence, wrapping my big old hands into that chain link fence, leaning in and watching him play. I love to watch him when he strikes out batters. And he's like, mm. and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then someone's like, he's eight, leave him alone. And the kid's walking back with his bat dragging. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I get a little fired up. But I love to be on that fence, looking through that fence, watching what he's doing, watching how he's performing, watching how he's playing the game. Watching him lean in and get focused on the next pitch. I love watching him when he fails. Because I know that that failure can be his next success if he focuses properly. Take that one failure, just change that one thing, and now we can get up there again. Again, we're being watched. You have someone Who's gone on before you? What are they watching? I say, let's put on a show. Let's put on a show with our faith and give them something to talk about. Would you bow your heads right where you are? I want to give you the opportunity to not just see preaching. I want you to think. Spend time. Because there's more to life than just what you can see. There's more that's going to happen in life than what you can see coming. And I want you to close your eyes and close yourself in for a moment and think about what is the story that you're writing with your faith? Is it tough as nails? Is it choosing grit over quit when it comes to our faith? Are we developing stories for the next generation? Are we becoming participators and not just spectators? Are we leaving a legacy? Because there really is more to life than just what you can see. It really matters what you believe. Old man Wrigley lived in that white house Down the street where I grew up Mama used to send me over with things now Struck a friendship up mm -hmm. Spent a few long summers on that old porch swing Yeah Said he was in a war in the name Lost his wife, lost his baby I broke down and I asked him one time How you keep from going crazy I see my son and my wife in just a little while. When I asked him what it meant, he just looked at me and smiled. Said, I raised my hand, I bowed my head. 
better than that come on come on that's incredible that is incredible if that doesn't get you feeling your feelers broke because that is incredible but I say this that's a gift that God gave to a man what has he given you? What has he given you to use? To inspire, to be tough as nails, to focus on the faith and leave a legacy for the next generation. What do you believe? Because I believe. I believe in you. I believe in every one of you that stand here, that we can walk out of here stronger than we walked in. 
more determined than ever, tougher and full of grit and no quit, to focus on our faith and change what others may believe. Would you bow your heads with me one more time? Maybe you're here and you say, I don't know what this faith thing is, but I feel like God's talking to me. Let me tell you what it is. It's that same verse that I read to you before. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight of sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. But now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus died. Not only are the words written and read in your Bibles, but he literally wrote those words in his own blood and read. And they're for you. They were for you in this moment. And if you don't have that relationship with God, we'd love to invite you because it's as simple as a quiet prayer that's privately said between you and the Lord. Where you just look at him and say, I choose you. I believe. I believe. And if that's something you're willing to do, we believe that faith has to function. And with everybody else's head bowed and eyes closed and nobody really looking around, if that's you, and that's a prayer that you just prayed, would you be willing to just raise your hand right where you are and say, that's me, I believe. I chose today that I believe. Just to mark this moment, without shame and with deep conviction. And as you put your hands down, we have a tradition around here, we put our hands together and say, welcome home. Welcome home.